Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in the book of Mark chapter 8 and uh, apologize for the absence of our media here this evening. We have a little technical difficulty there. And so that's a, just another great reason to always bring your Bible. And uh, the book of Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to begin reading at verse, the book of Mark chapter 8, I'm sorry, I'm going to begin reading at verse number 10. And, uh, but the verses preceding this are dealing with the, the miracle of the Lord feeding the multitude with seven loaves and a few fish. 4,000 people were fed, seven basketfuls remained, and uh, what a tremendous story and truth this is for us to rejoice in, and then we find ourselves coming uh, right out of this into verse number 10, so it's important that, I, that we understand what we're coming from and what we're walking into. Here's the miracles of, again, loaves and fishes, this time 4,000. The Bible says in Mark 8 and 10, and straightway he entered in into a ship with his disciples and came into the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and saith, what doth this generation, why does this generation seek after a sign? Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. And with that, I want to speak to you about this unusual place that we are introduced to in verse number 10 this place called Dalmanutha. And uh, it's not probably a subject or a location geographically or even a word that we have talked about a whole lot. But I pray that the Spirit of the Lord will just help us to draw from this a particular point that we can plant in our heart. Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. I think it is safe to say that we are uh, a part of a generation that in a, in a time that we can relate to when the scripture talks about everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I think we see that, that mark of, or perhaps marks plural, of uncertainties that blanket not only the world, but even in, in recent years and times, we have watched that 
spirit of uncertainty touch our own nation. And uh, so we, we know for many, many years that wars have gone on around the world. But if they are in another place across the body of water, it just seems like it's so far removed from us that it almost it'll affects us in, in some particular points. But when we think about the shaking that has taken place and is taking place, the fact of this, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. It has indeed caused some to back away from truths that they have long held dear. I, I was speaking with a friend of mine today, this very day on the phone, about, about friends that we have that once stood for certain things that have just somehow cut the cords and drifted so far away from the dock of, of what has been the centerpiece and the cornerstones of their life. But I, I'm not here to just talk about the negative aspect of things shaking us because I think by the same token, things that can be shaken will be shaken so that those things that are going to remain can remain. I think what happens not in times of uncertainty, it may shake loose some people from their faith. But I think while that is going on and while that is true, it is equally true that that solidifies the faith of others. Amen. I have, I have watched a generation of, of ministry that has just drifted away from truths that they held dear. And in the wake of that, there is, uh, there is a concern, not a fear, but in the wake of that, there is a concern. But those concerns are soon quieted by another segment of that generation that, that is determined to be intentional about seeking uh, the, the times of their, of their belief into the faith and the confidence of the word of God. And so I believe today that the church is, is in the best position that we have ever been in. I'm talking about the church collectively. While world instability is certainly a, a daily and a constant threat, I, I mean, when you just think about what happened around the world and across our nation in the course of this day, this very day, we can understand that there is a constant threat uh, imminent at the threshold of our lives. There is seemingly more danger, not just abroad, but even, even at home right here in this land of opportunity. It seems that danger is more imminent today than ever before. Even some of the world's most precious commodities are unpredictable and precarious at best from the, the crisis in the on the west coast of our nation, when you think about the, cri the water crisis that the state of California is in, and not just the state of California, but uh, it is certainly there and, it, and is ill-affecting various parts of our, our nation. When we think about those things, and, and that is a huge concern. We think about that, and of course, the, uh, the stock market that just can't seem to make up its mind, that is here and there, and... and uh, all of these lists are lists of uncertainties could go on and on and on, and I, I'm not here to just capitalize on that, but the point that I want to take from that is that there is seemingly no peace that can be found in this world. But I am thankful for what I felt when I walked through that side door just mere moments ago. A peace that can't really be explained. It's a peace that certainly can't be purchased. 
<laughs> I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for those moments in my life. I, I do love to worship the Lord and praise him and, and uh, I don't mind, mind even outward manifestations of that in my own life. But I am also thankful for those moments of just utter and sheer peace that God just speaks into our life. And, and uh, you, you know, for, uh, for many, if not most of us here this evening, it's been a pretty hectic week or a pretty hectic day or maybe a pretty hectic few weeks or several days. But to just be able to walk into the house of God and just feel that calm and that assurance and that solidity, that security that the Spirit and the presence of God brings. Amen. I, I just want to never lose my love for the house of God. Amen. I, I don't want you to ever get tired of me mentioning this because if the Lord will help me and keep giving me breath, I'm not ever going to stop talking about it. Amen. There, I'm thankful for the place when I need safety and when I need security, when I need that touch. And I'm not just referring to moments of crisis in my life, but I'm thankful for the house of God and what it brings to my heart. I know this could sound cliche, but it is certainly true that just 36 minutes into this service, we could dismiss this meeting right now and it would have been worth every moment, every, every second, every ounce of energy that we have put forth to be here. And I say that with great deference to some who have driven many miles just to be in this service tonight. But we could turn it all off right now and say it's been worth it all. It's been worth it all just to be in this place in the presence of the Lord. I'm thankful for a determination to be in the house of God. I want to be, uh, I want to be there every time and any time that I can. I've mentioned this often, but certainly through the years have I, as I have watched uh, not just our elders, but some who perhaps have physical uh, injuries or even disabilities, and it makes it more difficult for them to come to the house of God, are people who are in declining health and it makes it more difficult just to be here. My heart is humbled when I see them determined against all odds. I must be in the house of God. I must be there. It's not, they're not here on Wednesday because of a dreaded phone call from me on Thursday. Amen. They're here because they want to be in the presence of the Lord. They didn't come here to answer my call. They didn't come here to answer my expectations, but they came here to answer a much, much greater call. And that was a pool of glory that was drawing them. I'm thankful to get to the house of the Lord. If you had to, well, we did have to pay to get here. Uh, all of us burned a little gas, some more than others, to get here. So we had to pay to some degree to be here tonight. But if I had to pay to get here, if I had to pay to get here, it would just be, it would just be worth it all. You know, it, it, sometimes it doesn't bother you when you can't really calculate the cost of the trip. Uh, but just a few days ago, we were in Nashville, and, and uh, for those that were there, it was several blocks away. And so I, I walked to church several times back and forth, as did I, most of our entire group. But toward the end of the week, those taxi prices didn't seem so high. <laughs> it seemed well worth it, well worth it. But I, 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 thought, I thought about the price of the trip. When you can sit in the back seat and watch that meter just turn, the price, when you can actually watch the meter and when, when you're saying, I can get out right here and they say, no, just let me take you around the block because it's, it's gonna be a few more 
few more dimes on the, on, the, on the bill there, but it's worth it to get to the house of God, even if we could see the meter of what it actually costs, what we actually spent in energy, and then not just dollars and cents, but what we spent in energy and effort to be here. It would still be worth it to be right here in this house, right here, right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. The presence of God. Amen. Because there's something that happens when we when we get into the presence of the Lord, if I can just get to church, there have been times in my life as well as yours that I just felt like if I can just get to church, if I can just get there, everything is gonna be all right. It'll be better, that is for sure. I'm thankful for God's pleasure to grant us a season of reprieve from this world and all of its stress and all of its strains to not come here and pretend that there's not a real world outside. That's not what I'm implying at all, but just to come in out of the heat, so to speak, and let the Spirit of God breathe life and hope back into our lives. If I can just get to God's house, I know he will meet us here. God will grant me divine intervention from from the ills and the afflictions of this world. You know, we often refer to the 73rd Psalm. We often refer to this Psalm that records a season of transparent honesty, really, in the life of a man by the name of Asaph. I think it's important to understand that when we read this passage of Scripture, and I want to read several verses here today, tonight, perhaps a few more than I normally read, but if you'll go to Psalm 73 and 1, I want you to be real clear about something. This is not a glimpse into the life of a man who was just bent on complaining or whining. But here is the the natural uh, voice of a man who has put into words, who has recorded some things that I believe are legitimate concerns. I think more importantly, he speaks things out loud that we have questioned ourselves. And so when you read the 73rd Psalm, I find consolation here that someone was willing to be honest enough to just speak their heart. And so here the writings of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, and they have more than a heart, than heart they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are ungodly, who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and I have washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too 
painful for me. And so here is Asaph, not in a language that we normally use day to day, but he certainly is saying what we have felt. There have been times in my heart and in my life that I looked across the way and you see those that don't even try and it just seemed like life just dumps it out on them and by the bucketfuls. Am I alone, just the six of us that think that? (laughs) No effort seemingly is put forth and yet it just seems like the sun always shines in their world and it's hard to reconcile all of that in your life and I'm certainly not suggesting that you want to see some evil or, or something negative befall anyone. I'm not saying that or even suggesting that at all. But you just see those that seemingly put forth no effort and yet life just seems to always to be a constant tilt in their favor. And Asaph said, when I saw this, my, my feet almost slipped, my faith was shaken and it was just too painful when I tried to figure all of this out. We have generally looked at this passage of scripture and pointed out from this the prosperity of the wicked. And I think that is certainly a part of the center or the heart of this passage, but there's more here than just that. And that more is what I want to talk about. That more is what was released in the heart of this man and in our hearts many times over when he went to the house of the Lord. He went with one frame of mind through the door of the church, if we may say it that way, And in verse 17, he said, in verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. But verse 17 says, until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And I want to be, again, I want to make a point to clarify this. I don't think that Asaph was wringing his hands or rubbing his hands at the thought that the wicked was going to be destroyed or that some peril would befall someone. But I think more importantly is that what, Asaph saw was the very slippery slope upon which they had built all of their hopes and their dreams and their life. He said, when I went to the house of God or to the sanctuary of God, then I understood therein. Surely thou didst set them in in slippery places. Thou castest them down to destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment They are utterly consumed with terrors. Or in other words, this is so fragile and frail and it can all dissipate in a moment of time without even notice, without hesitation. Amen. I I think when Asaph said, I, I, I almost got my own life out of kilter and out of balance until I was able to go to the house of God and then I understood their end, or I understood, I think it would be equal to say my end as well. I think that is where this train of thought, it gives birth to songs that say something like this, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through. It helps us to realize that what I may never experience in this world, I will experience in that world. I'm not gonna worry about that. It's this house of God that brings balance. It's this house of God that brings stability. David said, my feet standeth, or my foot standeth in an even place. I'm thankful for the balance that the Spirit of God can bring to our life, for the peace and the, and the serenity that can come. We should never underestimate what happens when we come 
just into the house of the Lord. Now, I'm not just talking about a brick and mortar, a brick and mortar building because it's the presence of the Lord that makes all the difference in the world. Amen. I love being in the presence of the Lord. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the warm and fuzzy feeling that I'm in pursuit of. I'm not just wanting to come here tonight so that the Lord can pat me on the back or pat me on the head and tell me how wonderful I am. But I've come here tonight to let his presence examine my heart. I've come here this evening to let the Spirit of God do what needs to be done. If I need to be uplifted, I want His presence to lift me up. If I need to be corrected, I want God's presence to correct me. If I need understanding, I want His Word to speak in a way of clarity to my heart and my life. I didn't just come to sing. I didn't just come to clap my hands. I didn't just come to be counted or to seen of men, but I came here tonight to let the Spirit of the Lord examine my heart and do with me as you would will. Amen. I want God's involvement in my life. Amen. When I say that, I'm very serious. I want God's involvement in my life. I want him to know that I'm not just here for the fish and the loaves. I'm not just here for the pats on the back. I'm not just here for you to tell me how wonderful that I have been, Lord. But I'm here tonight to let your spirit examine every corridor of my heart. I believe that we should leave every service with a defining footprint of God's spirit being set in our lives to confirm the good. We need that. But to convict the areas of our lives that need to be changed, we need that. I need God to confirm some things in my life, but I also need God to convict some things in my life. Amen, I don't wanna just come to church and tell the Lord what's on my mind, but I want the Lord to be able to share with me what's on his mind. Amen, I want to allow his spirit to speak into my life with clarity. If I may say it this way, not just stirred one more time, but moved. Not just stirred up and then forget about it by the time I get home or by noon tomorrow, but I wanna be moved and challenged by the presence of the Lord. I think tonight, and I say this very, very humbly, but very honestly, I think tonight that it would be very easy for us to take advantage and take for granted the very fact that we've been able to come into this house and lift up our hands without any fear of, uh, of wrath or without any fear of someone raising their eyebrow or without someone trying to quiet our worship or, or to quench what we would want the Spirit of God to do. I don't want to take that for granted. I want to know that I am in His presence and in His presence there is fullness of joy. There is a completeness. There is a wholeness that is in the presence of the Lord. Not just stirred but moved. Amen. If we could turn our attention back to the book of Mark. I want to go back again to our text and again remind us that this is on the heels of one of the greatest recorded miracles of all time. And straightway he entered into a ship with his disciples and came to the parts of Dalmanutha. And the Pharisees came forth and to begin and begin to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? 
Verily I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. And he left them. And he left them. And entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Jesus has just performed a great miracle, touched the lives of many people. He has just, for all intent and purposes, etched something into the pages of history that we are visiting here this night in 2015. He has fed 4,000 with just seven loaves of bread. Now retreats, in a sense, to a place called Dalmanutha. Now this particular place is somewhat interesting. I don't want to belabor this point, but it is part of what we're discussing here tonight because this particular place is located somewhere on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee and the fact that it's just located somewhere somewhere on the western shore of the seas of Gal or the Sea of Galilee presents quite a problem here's the problem for the most part no one even to this day is really sure where it is Amen. Now, this is the only script, scriptural reference in the Bible where Dalmanutha is even referred to, but this afternoon when I looked up this particular place, this is what I found from various resources. Dalmanutha, a place of uncertain location. Dalmanutha, an unidentified place near the Sea of Galilee. Dalmanutha, a place of uncertain location near the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. And on and on. Every reference is just spattered with this question mark that we're not really sure where. We're not really certain where. And here's the point. What we find here in this particular passage of Scripture is that Jesus is extending himself to a location where there is no reason for significance. He gives himself. I mean, you would think after this great miracle, I mean, the cities everywhere are wanting him to come. I mean, absolutely. But, but Jesus intentionally gets on a ship and sails to a place called Dalmanutha, a place of little or no significance. It's not a place of high commerce, obviously. No noteworthy officials reside there. He's obviously not going there in some effort to reach the masses. Yet this place of insignificance to others is important to him. He steps off the ship, amen, into this place of, if I could put it this way, human unimportance. And the scripture says that right away the Pharisees met him and the Bible says that they began to question with him, not just question him, but barter, question with him and begin to tempt him. And so here is the Lord who honors Dalmanutha nowhere. Dalmanutha, we're not sure. Dalmanutha, we're not even certain where it is. He honors this place with a divine visit from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When he stepped off of that ship and on to the shore of Dalmanutha, do you realize that now anything is possible? Now anything can happen. Can I tell it to you this way tonight? Do you realize that when we come into this house and the scripture revealed itself true one more time that where we are gathered together in his name, he promised to be in our midst. 
I know in the minds of some, it's just Wednesday night Bible study. I know in the minds of some, it's just that midweek service. But do you realize that when we come into this house and the Lord meets us here, now anything is possible. Anything is possible. I'm telling you that God is not relegated to Sundays and God is not relegated to camps and God is not relegated to conferences and God is not relegated to names and titles. But in this place right now, I say to you, anything is possible. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you can have it tonight on this very Wednesday night. If you need a healing in your body, do you know that on this very Wednesday night, God can heal you right where you are? (laughs) Hallelujah. If you have more questions in your spirit than you have answers, do you know that anything is possible now? Why? Because Jesus is here. Jesus is here. So here's the hope and here's unlimited possibilities and what he has met with is resistance and opposition <laughs> Jesus visits the parts of Dalmanutha perhaps that no corner that no area might say that he never came here perhaps he is there to fulfill the hope that I am going to make myself available to whosoever will. Perhaps he is there so that it can be said as it was of Ezekiel. Just preach the word, Ezekiel. And if they hear you, they hear you. And if they don't hear you, they don't hear you. They're hard-headed, but I'm going to make you hard-headed. They're stiff-necked, but I'm going to give you a backbone. But the Lord said, I will reveal my purpose in sending you, and that purpose is this, that they might know there was a prophet in their midst and in judgment, the very presence of Ezekiel, not the voice of Ezekiel, but the very presence of Ezekiel would convict the greatest all the way to dust. Because when they said we didn't know, all the Lord's going to have to do is call Ezekiel from the shadows. And when Ezekiel stands, sinner stands, sinner stage, that's all that will be necessary. Amen. And so Jesus visits this nowhere, this uncertain place. He came by ship, meeting with more than just a little dispute not with opportunities of doing good. I don't know if it would be fair to say this, but I think for just the sake of an illustration, perhaps the breadcrumbs were still on his garment from the last miracle. Amen. He's standing in a place and the miraculous has just flowed from his hands into the lives of the disciples and they're all here and now anything is possible. And because of their disputing, the Bible says that he sighed within his spirit. Now, the only thing I could liken that to is, you know, anybody ever heard your parents just, (sighs) that doesn't necessarily mean they're exhausted. It just means that your actions have exhausted their vocabulary and they know nothing else to say. But he sighed within his spirit and pardon me if you think I'm trying to humanize this too much, but 
They challenged him. They challenged him. Give us a sign from heaven. I mean, unless they have been living under a rock, what are you talking about? Here is the greatest sign from heaven that will ever walk among men. (laughs) Give us a sign. Give us a sign from heaven. They came forward to question him. I think it's important to understand that their questions were not to learn of him, not to educate themselves, but that they might ensnare or entrap him. Their questions, I'm gonna tell you today, and many of you know this, that sometimes people come with honest questions because they want to know. And other times people approach you with silly questions because they just wanna try to paint you in a corner. Amen, they weren't trying to learn of him. They were trying to entrap him. They demanded a sign from heaven as though all the signs on the earth were not enough. In in actuality, perhaps the signs on the earth were more capable of being examined, but apparently they weren't sufficient enough. And isn't that sort of baffling? I mean, had they not heard about the miracles of the thousands that were fed with just such little bit of food? Had they not heard about the seven baskets of fragments that remain? And now Jesus is here with the capability to do for them this and more if they would just believe. And the Bible states in the 11th verse that the Pharisees tempted him with a sign from heaven. And verse 12, as I mentioned a moment ago, I think records something very significant. And he sighed deeply in his spirit. He sighed deeply in his spirit. The Bible talks about this most personal gesture that says far more perhaps than many words collectively joined together could ever speak. But what happens on the end of this sigh is very, very significant because the Bible says that he turned around and he re-entered the ship. It sounds kind of like the setting of Gadara, doesn't it? God gets here in Mark 5 and he performs a miracle and, and, and people are more bent out of shape because a farmer lost his crop of pigs than that the king of kings and the savior of mankind was standing among them. And for all we know, this one single miracle and this one single man is the only thing that happened in all of Gadara. And he got back on the ship and he sailed away. Other places the scripture talks about that he could dot many miracles there because of unbelief. And yet other places we see him pouring his spirit out and lives being forever impacted and changed. And I say, Lord, if that is the case, if it is my response to your presence that predicates what happens, oh, Lord, may you never catch me in your presence with my arms folded. May you never catch me in your presence, Lord, with somebody trying to prompt and prod me to prayer or to worship or to consecration. Amen. I'm thankful for people that can lead us and and guide us and encourage us and even challenge us. But I'm going to tell you, there ought to be a longing in our heart to be in the Word of God, whether we have a systematic bread program or not. There ought to be something in our heart that prompts us to an altar of prayer, whether we have a designated night, day, or moment of prayer or not. There ought to be something that's alive in us that says, my spirit has got to attach itself to the spirit world. I must be fed. But he turned and left. He came with the possibilities of miracles and wonders, but he was met with hostility and nothing more than obstructions. And so how many times has the 
spirit of revival been hindered by our own reluctance, by our own unbelief. I know that I will find all of us dead center of this statement. It seems as though that we have great faith for someone else to be healed or great confidence that God can bless another church in another city, another state, another time, another place. But what about us? Can we believe that God would do this for me? How many times has the spirit of, of, of revival been hindered just simply because we couldn't reach out and claim it for ourselves? How many healings have been lost because when the Lord visited us, he was met with unbelief and not faith? How many times have we caused, how many times have we caused the Lord to sigh in his spirit and look at us as we once again refuse to exercise what God has placed before us? And so I won't ever forget what can take place even when there doesn't seem to be like uh, seem to be or seem to be much there. Just a few loaves of bread, a few fish, just a, a little bit up against so many. What is this? It's more than enough in his hand. More than sufficient. It's more than enough. And so if our musicians will come, I will I will close with this point. Instead of Dalmanutha being known as a place of miracles and wonders, no one today is even sure where it's located. No one today is even confident that we could pinpoint it on a map. And yet they have the same ingredient standing on their soil that other cities of great miracles and great signs and wonders had. But because of their unbelief, we're not even sure where it is. And so I say that to say this, that I don't want our church to not experience what God would desire to pour out upon us because I resisted what God is trying to give birth to. Amen. When the Lord steps off the ship and wants to visit this church, I want to welcome him with worship and praise that is from my heart, lifting hands, hear me tonight, that are holy and lips that are not filled with wrath and doubting. But I want my heart to be right. I want to exalt him with gratefulness and with appreciation for his presence and power because I don't want this to ever be a place of insignificance. As a matter of fact, I don't want this to be a place that has been, that used to be, that one time was. But I want it to be a place where the Spirit of the Lord can move and move significantly. Can we stand together? Amen. I am in need of too much to ignore the presence of the Lord. I'm in need of too much to take for granted that he is in this place tonight. I, I'm in need of too much 
to walk in and try to just rush through this so that we can move to just some other chapter of our life, another moment. Because I promise you, no matter what you have to do an hour from now, it will not be as significant as what we are doing right here, right now. Amen. The Spirit and the presence of the Lord. Amen. I don't want to become that place of uncertainty, that place that I'm not sure of, that place that I can't pinpoint all because my lack of faith just somehow did not encourage the Spirit of God. I'm not suggesting tonight that we should work ourselves into some false frenzy and just try to make something happen. I believe that we ought to just rather position ourselves to allow God to move. Amen. Just allow Him to move. Because if we'll just move us out of the way, He can and He will speak significant things into our life. Amen. I wonder if we could just give God some of our time right now. And could we all just individually perhaps, even where you stand, would you just let a praise or a worship, whatever is in your heart to say to the Lord, would you say that now? Amen. I am so grateful for His presence. I'm so thankful for my heritage. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have placed in my in my lineage. I'm so thankful for faithful men and women. Not perfect men and women, but they were faithful. Amid all of their flaws and amid even their human frailties, somehow they never lost sight of the cross. They never lost sight of the purpose, Lord, of your sacrifice and the blood and the power of repentance and baptism and the value of being filled with your spirit as evidence with speaking with other tongues. I'm thankful, Lord, that I know that experience and I'm thankful that I have enjoyed that experience for myself. I pray, God, that I would convey that, not only commit it to my heart, but commit it to the hearts of others. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.